Welcome back. Episode 24 of The Link. Thank you for joining. This week I was super inspired. Kind of wish it was episode 25, but it's episode 24. I wish it was episode 25 because it's the 25th anniversary of the legendary Outkast album Equemini. I love that album. I love Outkast. I've been wanting to do more music episodes that I just review stuff, and this seemed like it hit perfectly. In the episode with my dad, episode 15, go listen to it, one of my favorites, and I've gotten the best reviews of that episode of any of them, so it's really good. We talked about the Beatles a lot, who are his favorite band, and then I started thinking about my favorite band, and I couldn't really decide. I went with Queen, and I stand by it, but to be honest, I've been thinking a lot more about it. Over the past few years, I was obsessive about listening to a ton of new music, taking notes on it, scoring it, keeping track remembering how everything was, and just generally being the guy that's up on his stuff, and I still am. But during COVID, and especially after talking about favorite artists with my dad, I've been going back through some of the people I think are like in my top tier, the elite of the elite. And I love hip-hop, and gun to head, Biggie might be my favorite artist in that genre, but the truth is, that's such a cookie-cutter answer, and I want to bring something a little different to the table, plus... I wouldn't put these two in just a hip-hop category. It's limiting them a little more. They're more than that. And let my dad tell you. Dad, take it away. I wanted to touch on Outkast because <laughs> you don't really love hip-hop. I really love hip-hop. But that, since a young age, I feel like either you faked it because I liked it. No, or, not at all. Or that was just the one that found a footing for you. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, the same In the same way that Roots. Yes, the Roots. Does. Because they're musical. Because it's funky. It's funky and it's more musical than the average hip-hop stuff is. Thank you, Dad. Well done. And I agree. They're funk, they're R&B, they're pop, they're trap, they're Southern playalistic Cadillac music. They're outcast. They're just more than anything. How many groups get to the sky-high level that they have gotten to and continue to be themselves and just are so original and different? And I want to talk all about it. I love them. They have more staying power in my rotation than almost anyone. They have an interesting history, a huge run, a lot of intrigue left on the table, which kind of adds to the story a little bit, I think. So... I thought it was fair to give them an episode of their own. I want to break down their historic run from 1994 through 2000. Their mainstream success afterwards, their eventual fade into the ether, fans always begging for more and still not knowing if we're ever going to get it the same way we used to. I also want to try something new here where I'll listen to one song from each of the albums as I'm talking about it and try to throw it into the background so you guys can listen to at least a clip of it while I'm listening and talking about it, and hopefully we can get a similar vibe as one another. Also, I specifically remember listening to both Miss Jackson and So Fresh, So Clean with my dad back when they came out, and that was in, like, 2000. We were just geeking out over it. So Fresh, So Clean was a single before Stankonia came out in 2000, actually. So I was legitimately 10 years old, jamming out and having the beginning of two decades of what would be outcast fandom. So hopefully it shines through. Probably the only music I owned before Outcast was a couple of cassette tapes. I mean, how old am I? Hall & Oates, Michael Jackson Beat It single I had, 
and Skilo, I Wish, which is a jam. Incredible song. And if you don't know about it, give it a YouTube, but I'm sticking it in the back here because you better know about it. I think I you wish might. I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. Wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a six-point And then Linkin Park Hybrid Theory. We're going way back in the musical brain. And after 20 years, they deserve respect. If you like them, vibe with me. If you don't, maybe we can turn you right now. Hit the music. Let's get into it. So if you really know nothing at all about OutKast, they are a rap duo. Again, I hesitate to even call them rap because it's so much more than that. But they are a duo of Andre 3000 and Big Boy. The beauty of them is, yes, they're a southern Atlanta hip-hop duo, but they included so many people, and there's just this family vibe to them, and we'll get more into that later. They, they're influenced by probably, I would say, Tribe Called Quest, Snoop Dogg, George Clinton, plus a ton of other influences. As you hear the music, you'll hear these little things that they add to it, that it's not just drum, bass, beat, rap over it. It's not like that. It's produced better, and they evolve so much as they went along, and you can hear it in the songs, especially the ones that I chose for this, that they become a new thing every time, and they were kind of always had it in them. You would hear little flashes of it in their early albums, and then by the time we get to the later albums, it explodes with this major production and these beautiful sounds that seem to come from nowhere and you've never heard before in this genre, and it really opened the door to more fans and to them just being able to be so creative and be different and be themselves. And they just represent Atlanta really well. But even in that group, they are, they stand on their own. Like Ludacris is also from Atlanta. I love him, but that's a totally different mentality than Outkast has. It's the same style of music. You can hear it. Hip hop is so regional and they all have their own vibe. They all have their own sound. There's a feeling you get when you hear a regional artist and you kind of can just know, especially if you're a hip hop head like me, you know what it is before you even know what the song is. If you listen in New York, you hear Jay-Z, Nas. If you listen West Coast, you want Snoop, Dre, and Tupac, and all that. Go to Miami, you'll hear Rick Ross and Pitbull or something. I don't know what they do down there. St. Louis even has Nelly. You go to Atlanta, and it's Luda, and it's Outkast, but Outkast brings Atlanta into this whole other stratosphere that allows them to sound nothing like anyone else. So... The first album really shows that. They went on a four-album stretch. 1994, their first album came out, Southern Playalistic Cadillac Music. 96, AT Aliens comes out. 98, Equimini. And 2000, Stanconia. And then after 2000, they did Just the Love Below and Speaker Box, which we'll get to later. But that was when they were already so mega popular, and it started to impact them creatively. But Stanconia in 2000 might be my favorite album of all time. It's that good. And also in 2001, they released this CD called Big Boy and Dre Present Outcast, which is, I mean, as a 12-year-old me being extremely psyched to have all these big songs in one place, it's a Greatest Hits album. I had the CD, it has a purple cover with them on it, and I remember popping it into my Discman, shoving the entire Discman into my gigantic Jenko jean pockets, say that 10 times fast, hoping the CD didn't skip and scratch on my way home from school. I was cool as fuck. Every track I'm about to break down was on that album. 
It's really good. So if you want like a quick crash course in them, just go listen to The Greatest Hits. But all of the albums speak to themselves so personally. And I want to go through each of them. So the first one, Southern Playlist of Cadillac Music, two songs on here that I couldn't separate. And I'll tell you why. But the first one is the title track. And the second one is the single, Play As Ball. And Play As Ball came out as a single before this ever release, I think in 93. So they were already getting known. And this album was so interesting because like I said about Atlanta, it has that vibe to it. It has that natural, slow, molasses, hometown feel. Like you're walking down the street, summertime in Atlanta, it's hot as fuck, everyone's wearing a tank top, everyone's sweating, and then you hear some music from a bar, you go in, everyone's vibing, everyone's going crazy, the crowd's going wild, and there's some cool cats in the corner just leaning against the bar, bobbing their head, and you can't not move when it comes on. It's just so, it flows, it's so good. This album was produced by Organized Noise, not by Andre 3000 or Big Boy themselves. And Organized Noise consists of a bunch of people. It was like a production group, I guess. Sleepy Brown is in there, who you'll hear on some of their more popular singing tracks. And they're all over this album. But this first song, Southern Play List of Cadillac Music, is cool because Andre is the one that comes in soft on this album. And he normally does. He Not that he's soft, but he has this... I don't know how to describe it. It's like flowery, flowing, nice and easy, laid back sound that nobody else possesses. And it's complemented perfectly by Big Boy coming in with the hard, aggressive style, right? Which I really love. So that is 90% of their songs are that kind of dynamic. They're so far on the opposite side of the spectrum as each other that they really end up complementing each other really well and creating this hybrid little vibe that we have in each of their songs but sometimes they flip it. We'll get back to that. The group first went by Two Shade Deep. That's a fun fact for you. References to their skin color. One's lighter than the other. And yeah, they went by that. What if, I wonder if they would have taken off if not for changing the name to Outkast. Outkast is so much cooler, but I saw it as a fact and I wanted to share it. Also, they almost had a third member, CeeLo Green. And he went on to produce and feature for them. And he's on a bunch of their tracks. He was almost really in the group, and then they ended up just not working out. They took off with just the two of them. But it just goes to show, like, back to that family vibe of Organized Noise, Sleepy Brown. Later on, Killer Mike came on, Gangsta Boo. They used a bunch of these features as kind of one bigger Atlanta homegrown group. And sure, Outkast gets the credit and all that. It's their album. But they were always bringing back these what seemed like family members. And I thought that was really cool. Even before this came out, they were featured on TLC's What About Your Friends, and TLC was hot at that time. They were big. And that was in, like, early 90s. And then, uh, fun fact again, seven years later, Outkast bought the studio where they laid down the tracks for TLC. I thought that was dope. It's such a cool full-circle thing. I think I remember hearing that when Puff Daddy heard Play His Ball, he invited Outkast to open for Biggie in Washington, D.C. And I mentioned before, Biggie is my other greatest of all time, as far as hip-hop goes. And so for these two to have come across each other in such an interesting way, that there was this show at Howard University 
historically black college, big venue, and Biggie was playing there. Puff wanted Outkast when they were just brand new. He was like, come by, open for him. And years later, Outkast did an interview or an article or something. I remember watching it. It might be on YouTube out there somewhere, so check it out. Where they talked about how crazy nervous they were for doing this show. And they ended up doing it, but they were like, we're not ready for this kind of thing. And lo and behold, they become this gigantic force in hip-hop that would travel across the world, let alone the country, let alone, you know, just the one show. But it's interesting because it shows that side of them that eventually, you could say, led to their demise. This nervousness about being super popular, this, you know, the, the issues that come with all of that. So I thought that was an interesting parallel, but we'll get back to that in the later albums. I just love how slow and lowrider bouncing this is. It just feels so smooth and not rushed, and yet their lyrics and vocals are fast. But the vibe is so slow. They pull the tempo all the way down and then just add heavy bass and they throw horns in there. That's what gets me right off the bat. The horns for Outkast just bring it from like, oh, this is a good Southern Atlanta album. But then they throw this little flair thing, which leads me to where I'm going to go in the other albums. And it's just a little hint of it, but you know something's different here. They're throwing horns into their songs. That's not totally normal. It just allowed them to be this different thing and add that to the dynamic the two of them have with each other. And it becomes this just brand new sound. It's like their secret sauce. And they also have this like this vibe of having keyboards, but almost with like a wah-wah bar like a guitar would have. So there's these keyboards that are kind of waving up and down, and it's never one consistent sound, and it just makes you want to move. It just has this innate ability to get the vibe going. And then they throw in all these random sounds too. If you shift over to Player's Ball, you hear like beeping in the background, like like a car, or then sometimes it sounds like a dial-up modem, and you're like, what is going on here? But it's just these minor little tweaks that they throw in that really allow you to separate them from the rest of the pack. And this song is so interesting, and I had to include both from this album because on this one, it rarely happens, but it happens here. Andre goes hard from the beginning, which is a total shift. Sometimes they start the songs different ways, and depending on which guy starts the song, that's generally the vibe, but this one's flipped entirely because Andre has this attacking, bassy, boomy voice on this one. And then Big Boy comes in a little bit softer, and it almost makes you go, wait, what's going on? Is this somebody else? Like, this is a different dynamic than normal. So for real Outkast fans who are used to that one sound, you can hear them flip it a little bit on this. And those are some of my favorite tracks where they really play with what everyone is used to and then give it a different look. They're both so versatile. Just because they fit this one narrative with each other generally doesn't mean they can't have different sounds all the time. And that's kind of the best part of them. They evolve so much. I love first albums of bands, and this one is no different, but I really appreciate more when bands go on to do a different thing. You put out a first album, it's great. You put out a second album, it's a clone of the first album. I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'll listen to it for sure. But it's not making me intrigued for a third one. Whereas with Outkast and a bunch of other people that are really at the top echelon, they will make a change that you can tangibly hear and understand where this journey is going. And that is by far my favorite part. Also, some of the interludes they have on some of their albums are really cool. So before we go on to the second one, what they generally do at the end of the interlude to know we're going into a new song is say... Break! 
So after the first album, Outkast goes platinum. They're starting to make waves. 1995, they go to the Source Awards and they win Best Newcomer. So people are knowing that Outkast is coming and it's this new thing. And it's in the middle of this East Coast, West Coast hip hop not even just a battle, it's just what the styles were. There wasn't really a third style or fourth or fifth or whatever like there is now. And Outkast had something different, so they win that and they get booed on the stage. You can look up the YouTube clip, it's wild. Andre gets on stage and you can tell he's a little nervous and not feeling it. And he goes, the South got something to say. And that was like the beginning of them... It was in one way the beginning of them showing how anxious they were about cracking into this world and what was to come. But on the other side, it was like, hey, fuck this. We're going to be ourselves. We know we got something cool here and everyone's already liking it. And guess what? The next album, we're going to push the envelope even more. And they did. Andre took over production. Organized Noise was still there, so they were working together. But, I mean, even something as simple as they took their cornrows out and they said... And this isn't me just making it up. I remember they said that they weren't going to comb their hair anymore. They were just going to be themselves. Andre started to develop this whole new fashion sense. They really were embracing this persona that you know them as now. Andre got sober. I believe one of them had a kid. I can't remember which one. There were a lot of changes going on in their lives. It was becoming this new thing. And ATLians was the next album in 96. And it really showed that they were taking this in a new direction and really embracing it. The first album was great, but it was just classic Southern rap with their own little flares. This took the flares and really launched them to the next level, into outer space, you could say, because the whole theme of the album is this spatial sound, this weird extraterrestrial feeling. And it shows, and it really still has that same heartbeat, but it also has something new to it, which I think is the Andre production. And the first song they worked on for this album was Elevators. And that is one of my favorite songs because it still has that old vibe from the first album. It's slow, it's very vibey, but there's just a little bit more to it. And the content itself is really interesting because they're literally talking about the fact that they're getting popular. The Elevators represent the, them growing and moving up in the world of hip hop and popularity and everything. All the lines are about all their friends coming and family and giving them money and being cool and doing all these new things they didn't get to do before because now they have a platinum album and they're moving up. And they're talking about how they don't have that much money yet, but they're planning to. And this whole song just really captures the vibe of what the album is. And it makes sense because it was the first one that they recorded. Also, what I love about this is they do this weird offbeat rhyming. It's like you hear the beat and you expect the word to hit at a certain time and they just don't do that. They have this other way of... It's hard to explain. It's like when you watch a boxer and you expect him to jab a certain way, but then he pulls the jab back and fakes it and hits you with an uppercut or something. And you're like, where did that come from? And that's kind of how it feels with both of them on this whole album. It's like they made an effort to be different. And that's kind of what I love about it. They just keep you guessing. You're on your toes. You never really know what's going to happen. And yet, the beats are simple, but then you hear this weird spaceship sound just a beep or like some echo or something that makes it sound like you're in this different place they showed a swagger on this album that is unmatched and then they really realized and pushed to the envelope even further as we go along 
This was the beginning though. This was such a small change from the first album, but now when you look back at it, in hindsight, you see the next stepping stone that they jumped onto and how they were eventually gonna get to Stankonia and where they were going. It's really awesome. Andre went back to high school to get his diploma during this album. It really was just a growth, personally. There was a lot to it. And without this, we never get all the other stuff, obviously. It's just so bold for a popular rap group in the South to shed their hard partying characters in favor of this funky, futuristic persona with more instruments and more flair and it just wasn't popular at the time they really ushered this whole new thing in and i don't think we would see a lot of hip-hop artists today act the way they do and produce the way they do without at aliens coming out so whether or not it's your favorite album of theirs doesn't really matter it was pivotal in them becoming the outcast that we know now it's really cool Andre even had said, and I quote, it's like everybody's talking about sipping champagne and being big time, so we just took it on ourselves to do something new. I want my children to say, daddy really said something. He wasn't just trying to brag on himself. That is so self-aware and brave for a rapper in the mid-90s to say that kind of shit was not really happening. You have to transplant yourself back there to understand what that probably sounded like to people, and it makes sense now why they get booed on stage and all that stuff, so. This album is great. It doesn't have the most hits that you've probably ever heard of, but if you go back to it after listening to the ones that you know better, you'll really start to appreciate how they became who they are. 1998, Aquemini. Obviously, both their zodiac symbols, big boys in Aquarius, Andre's a Gemini, if you were ever curious, which you probably weren't, but now you know. They were already on the rocket ship into space, but this they decided, we're in space and we just want to go further. The reason they were able to push this one so much further is A, confidence probably, and being aware of the success that they've already had. They were on the Billboard charts, they went platinum again, they were really killing it now. And they had a bigger budget, flat out. They said they were able to spend more time in the studio. They went to Bobby Brown's Bosstown Recording Studios in Atlanta, which is a storied place. And they really just laid it down. They took the training wheels off completely. Not that they were really on in the album before it, but they really pushed the envelope now. They got this big sound, and it must have taken so much work to get there. There are a lot of moving parts on this album, and you'll notice it in a lot of different songs. They said they really just lived at the studio at this time. For this album, they used so much more live instruments. This was really... I mean, you heard my dad wax poetic about it before, and I agree. Last album, AT Aliens, they experimented with it. This one, they decided, this is a band, baby. And it's just as much hip-hop, but it has some Motown to it, and some funk, and some progressive rock, and even some country bluegrass elements. It's wild. They brought in a baby grand piano into the studio, hired musicians to play everything. This was really a composition. At the time, Andre was listening to a lot of Bob Marley and talks a lot how he was influenced by reggae music for a lot of this stuff. Andre did a lot of the production on this. Big Boy did a lot of the hooks. And this is where you start to see them come into what they know themselves as, their strengths, and play to them. Like I said before, in the first album, you hear Big Boy hit the hard beats and go in. And Andre just kind of floats above the song in outer space doing this weird 
different style with a new vocal range and he embraces it so much and that's why on the first album I liked when they flipped it but this album they really realized we are different we can work to that and that may have been the beginning of the end really because ultimately they did want to do different things and them separating it worked for a while but it doesn't work anymore and it's just part of the story sadly it has to be but it was it allowed them to produce such amazing music at the time when they really fell into their right buckets. But there was some heat going on at the time, it seems. A lot of the stories are not exactly all perfect. At one point, I believe Andre wanted to use like autotune, which was really new, and voice modulation and stuff like that. And Big Boy hated it and was really worried about the Southern rap audience, while Andre had kind of his eye on a different thing and a new audience and a bigger thing. Not to alienate the people from before, but he just wanted to do more. And there was a rift beginning to start there. There was a famous fight between the two of them on which song was going to open the album. One of them wanted Return of the G, and one of them wanted Y'all Scared. And that was because Return of the G has a feature on it. Something as simple as that. But there was a rift between should we start a song that's just the two of us or start with a song that has a feature? Does it matter? And... You know, these are the tough conversations that a duo has to have. At least with a group of four or five, you can bounce ideas between each other. And if everyone doesn't agree, then it's probably fine because majority rules at some point. With two people, it's going to become a rift. It happens all the time. They were no different. And maybe some of that heat was like a Kobe and Shaq situation where it just started to work out better because of it. Who knows? But it eventually met its end later on. We'll get to that. I want to talk about Rosa Parks. This song is so unbelievable. It's one of my favorite songs by them. There's just so many elements. It starts with a scratching record, right? And then some huge vocal, almost to the point where it sounds like a chorus in the background singing. They're looping the tracks at so many times. And then all of a sudden in comes in this country style acoustic guitar in the back. Who's doing that in rap music? Nobody, this is 1998. This isn't happening. And also, it's such an interesting, poppy vibe. It's just four chords. That's it. That's the whole song. And with this country vibe, with a pop chord progression, and then hard southern rap lyrics, with a ton of sounds on top of it. If you break this one down, you would hear insane stuff. You can hear this song a hundred times and hear something new every single time. It's really unbelievable. Plus, the content matter. Who knows if they would even write this song these days, but it's just so heavy and fun at the same time, which is so up their lane. I mean, just the background vocals, their sounds combining together. There's only one verse from each of them on the song, and it's five minutes long. In the middle of it, they decide to have a hoedown, basically. And it turns into this totally different thing where you can just imagine everyone in the South at a party everywhere, really, but it rooted there. And just having a blast, just dancing and getting after it and them being part of it. So they lay down their tracks and they're both great. And then they just, it seems like they were in the studio and just listening to their production and going, this is all we need. People are going to love just this sound. It's so fucking good. I don't have the right words to put to it to make me express how important this song and this album and this band are to music. They combined so many different things 
in this one little space and their relationship with one another and their relationship with the public it's just all of it is just so special seriously no other rap group is putting a hoe down in the middle of one of their most popular songs on their breakout album when they finally got huge budget and popularity and doing whatever they want it's unbelievable who makes that choice and who tells them that it's a good idea they only needed themselves to believe in it and then it became a phenomenon unbelievable work if you're not singing or dancing to this song anytime it comes on just i can't i can't relate to you at all so bluesy so folksy harmonies southern boogie baby what a groove i could just listen to this all day long Another fun fact about Equimini, the group originally planned to create a film to go with it. And they wrote the script months before the record ever came out. Outkast met with MTV for the project, and they bought it to cast Missy Elliott and Busta Rhymes in it. Because they had some heat at the time. And Andre and Big Boy didn't like that. They shelved it, which eventually went on to become Idlewild later. Which was in 2006, they, Outkast did write a musical called Idlewild. Check it out. Pretty interesting that it started all the way back then, and they wanted to do it for so long and finally got to do it. It's nice. Sad news, in 1999, Rosa Parks herself filed a lawsuit against Outkast for the song, claiming the song used her name without her permission, false advertising, etc., etc., defamation of character, which I find a little silly, but what are you going to do? Lawsuit was dismissed. Outkast did a cool person thing to do. Settled later on in 2005, agreeing to create educational programs to enlighten today's youth about the significant role Rosa Parks played in making America a better place for all races. Quote, unquote. How cool is that? They didn't have to. They won the suit. The song was awesome. They were huge and decided to give back and do the right thing. Rosa Parks and Outkast linked at the hip forever. Might not have liked each other too much, but it all worked out. And it all had a great impact on the world and hip-hop and what an album. What a time. Break! Finally, the coup de gras. Maybe the greatest album I've ever heard front to back. Definitely in my top three favorite hip-hop albums without any question. Unbelievable. Fourth studio album. This time, after the major success that they've had so far, they bought the recording studio that they worked on for the last album. Named it Stankonia Studios, which meant they could just literally live at the studio. It took them about a year to make this album. And Andre said after buying the studio, he realized, quote unquote, you can just sit there and fuck with just a kick and a snare all day long if you want to. You're not working on the clock. Really, you're just working on your mind. And it just shows because there are even more elements than they were on any of the previous albums i said the whole time it's building it's building it's building it's building and some of it just feels like andre sat there with an acoustic guitar and figured out some licks and then fixed it and added some more stuff and that's because that did happen there was a great combination of homemade feel plus the outer worldly experience that came from the two previous albums plus so many more sounds just getting bigger and bigger and bigger there's fucking cowbell on this album come on but let's go back for a second. Right after the last album, right before this one happened, I don't know when it was, 98, 99, Andre was going out with Erica Badu, very famous, awesome artist in her own right. And not that this is why he went out with her. I don't know. I've never met them. But it signified even more of an embracing of who they were, especially Andre, who started dressing with a lot of high fashion and creating more and more and more of the style you come to know him as. And especially by the time, like, Hey Ya comes out later, he is so Andre that it's ridiculous, which is awesome. They just embraced it. They said, Hey, 
we're successful. This is who we want to be. I have the cool music. I got the great girl. I'm looking good. I'm driving the old caddy. This is the life I've wanted. But for the first time on Stankonia, it seemed like they had the whole persona in their heads. They knew exactly how they wanted it to sound and just needed to get into the studio and let it live through them. And it happened. 2001 Grammy Awards, Outkast wins Best Rap Album for Stankonia. Best Rap Performance by a duo or group for Miss Jackson. In 2003, the album was ranked 359th on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. They revised that list in 2020. Stankonia moved up to 64th. The 64th best album ever, according to Rolling Stone, who's no slouch. I love that. It gets all the recognition it deserves. It has this mix of funk, psychedelic, some gospel in there, still the Dirty South. There's rock, there's bluesy, there's jazz. There's nothing that's not here. Subject matter, politics, African-American culture, parenthood, going through the process of becoming a parent and being this popular being and the struggles that come with it. The sexuality between potential husband and wife on Miss Jackson. All the crap that deals with that. It's just, it feels meaningful to them. It feels like this is their manifesto. Not only is it the best sounding and the most fun, but this is just so them. This is the album that if someone has never listened to Outkast, you point them to Stankonia. Even just look at the picture of the cover. I'll post it on Instagram probably a thousand times because it's one of my favorite covers ever. It's just the two of them in front of a black and white American flag, which is perfect, and just staring into the camera, Big Boy just being very chill, and Andre with his hands out in some kind of weird pose, with his shirt off, and a funny thing that I heard that I agree with totally on the No Skips podcast with Shea Serrano on The Ringer, which is great, is Andre didn't even flex for the picture. He's so jacked. And he could have easily had a six-pack. And if this album came out today, someone, the photographer, would have went, why don't you just uh, tighten it up a little bit? He didn't need to. He's his own guy. Most of us will never know a confidence like that. I'm sitting here flexing my stomach right now. No one can see me. I get it. If I'm on camera, you better believe I'm sucking it in. Andre don't care. He knows exactly what he's about to go out there and put down, and it's going to change the world, and he doesn't give a fuck about flexing his muscles. It's so badass. It's a nice little metaphor for how naturally this album came about, despite the bigness of it, the huge feel, the big party fun, all the sounds. It still just feels like them at its core, which is really hard and rare to do. I want to talk about songs on this, but before I get to that, what makes this album unbelievable in hip-hop history is how it was received by the public. It reached the Billboard number one. It was wide-ranging, tons of different countries all across the world. This was a smash hit, one of the best albums of the year, according to everybody. All the ratings, all the websites, all the reviews, everyone loved this album from front to back. Plus, even casual fans who had no idea who they were, now all of a sudden everybody knows So Fresh, So Clean and Miss Jackson. If you don't know Outkast, you still know those songs once they come on. This album influenced everyone, man. Every single rap artist that you know today, this has a hand in it. The list of peak positions on the charts across the world is ridiculous. Australia, they reached 33. Austria, they reached 16. Belgium, 25. Canada, 4. Denmark, 17. Amsterdam, 20. Finland, 8. France, 26. Germany, 6. New Zealand, 17. Norway, 8. Sweden, 15. Switzerland, 14. 10th in the UK. Number one on the US Billboard 200 at some point. Unbelievable. Certified platinum in both the US and Canada. Four times platinum in the US, plus a ton of different 
countries. They went all over the charts. I could keep going on the accolades, but it's harder than you think to read countries and name them and not screw them up. So I'm going to take my win when I can get it and get the fuck out of here. It's really so impressive. There's nothing... That doesn't happen. That doesn't really happen in rap. I bet you Miss Jackson and So Fresh So Clean, at the very least, both off of this album, are two of the most recognized rap songs ever. They might be the most popular rap group in terms of commercial success at one point in the history of the genre. I can't imagine there are too many people that ever reached the highs that they reached. Maybe Eminem? Maybe Kanye, Jay-Z? I'm not even sure. Biggie and Tupac were big, but I don't know if anything ever reached single status like that. It was a phenomenon in the early 2000s. It was everywhere for everyone. It was the right time, too. It was the music video era. It was MTV. It was everyone coming together to embrace a bunch of different things, and it just hit at the right time. There are no detractors. Outcast doesn't come on and go, someone goes, nah, it's not really for me. Like, this just never has happened in my entire life. Just so you're all aware, and this is a real-life view behind the curtain, how unconfident I am in the statement that I just made, but I am confident in it, and I needed to argue it with someone to understand. I wanted to know if I was really blowing it out of proportion on how high the highs of Stankonia were, how popular Outcast was, and I named those names, and I think they're accurate, but I had to call my dad and get his opinion on it. And I wanted to record it so bad, but it seemed corny and unnatural. But we did have a conversation about it while I'm recording and editing this podcast, and this is the magic behind it, baby. He mentioned MC Hammer, Run DMC, Beastie Boys. There were a couple people, but even he granted that Outkast peak popularity worldwide probably reached top five. I'll take it. Thanks, Pops. I want to get into some of the songs because there's three of them on this album, and I can't not mention any of them. The first one, So Fresh, So Clean. This was the first single out before the album even came out, and this was what my dad turned me on to. I remember him listening to it, and I'm like, what is this? It has the perfect southern vibe of the first album, kind of, that simple drum beat that just drives throughout the whole song. But then you can tell Andre had this new thought to kind of have this weird... I don't even know how to describe the sounds. They're just warped keyboards, I guess. Just a... If you just listen closely to this song with nothing else on, there are so many elements. How did they pick and choose where to put each thing? And the drums just keep going throughout the whole thing that make you feel like it's constant. But there's a lot of outer spatial random stuff happening. So this is their least complicated song of the three that I'm going to talk about, but it definitely belongs on here because it launched them into this space that allowed the other two to come about. Plus the hook, Big Boy nailed it on this. Everyone wants to sing along to this. Everyone relates to it. It's about feeling themselves. They finally feel like they've arrived. And some of my favorite stuff is that this is so Atlanta, too. They never departed. They knew they were bigger. They wanted a bigger scope, but they never left their roots. They're talking about Atlanta. They're talking about gator belts and patty melts. It's awesome. It's so home-feely. There's so much pride for people from Atlanta, probably, that feel so connected to this. And yet, so can everybody else. It didn't alienate anyone. And it had a fun groove, great lines, both of them hit it hard, some straightforward rap so you would get that community, and some off-the-wall production that was brand new and weird and no one else was doing to get a new crowd. When Andre comes in, he literally sounds like an alien. This album isn't the outer space one that the previous two were, but it still carries those elements. Everything builds. It's all a stepping stone towards the next thing. They never abandon any one thing that they picked up that was successful. And it just all fits. It all just feels like them. 
If you've ever been with me anywhere at a bar at 3 a.m. when this song comes on, you probably heard me try to rap the whole thing, and I can do it. I can do it. That's bonus content. If you ever see me, ask for it. We can jam out. But that's just one song on this album. The next one is probably the most popular, and I mentioned Erica Badu for a reason, because Miss Jackson is about her. It's about her and Andre splitting up and what was coming down the road and allegedly Erica Badu's mom and all the things that went into that. And the struggle of just being in a relationship while trying to have a kid and all the stress and the success that goes into it. And the beautiful part about the lyrics is that there's three verses and they all represent different things. On the first one, Big Boy comes in and you can tell he's maybe agitated by the situation and trying to defend himself that he's been fighting with this mother for a while. And he handles it well. He's just trying to defend himself. There's no animosity, there's no attack, but it's frustration. So that is like the first act of this song. By the second act, Andre comes in and his is completely lovey-dovey. He has this different personality that he brings to the table. And it's not that it necessarily represents one of the rappers or the other one. It's just, you can tell they wrote out this play, this comedy versus tragedy kind of thing and wanted it to follow some kind of narrative. So when he comes in talking about puppy dogs and love and carving their names in the tree, it gives you this different representation of what you think this situation is. It's all the different options that go into it. It's deep and beautiful. It also gave us the most classic line Outcasts could ever give. Everybody knows that. Everyone. I don't care who you are. You never heard the song before? It doesn't matter. When that part comes on, you do what I just did. I guarantee it. And then the third verse, Big Boy comes in and it gets dark. He goes in and hard, and it just represents all the animosity that is able to build up in these kind of relationships. It happens to everybody, and you just explode at a certain point. And it's harsh, but it's real. And I think that resonates with people, whether they track it or not. Let's talk about the production. It's unbelievable. They put the wedding march bells in the background of the production. Who does that? And it works. It's so perfect. Again, there's just great snare. You really can hear that quote that I said, that Andre just sat there on the drums, banging them until he found the perfect thing. And they did. There's loud organs here. It's very different from anything else you hear. There's spacey record scratches. It just all adds to the one narrative that it is. And I don't think any song got as big as this one in terms of worldwide success. This They peaked here, I think. No one doesn't love this song. You all love it. Go listen to it on its own after this because it deserves it. Go listen to the whole album. And I saved one for last, and it's definitely not least. This, to me, I said successfully Miss Jackson might have been their peak. But to me, production-wise, and just putting out one song, Bombs Over Baghdad is the premier outcast song. I mentioned all the stepping stones, how everything is building towards something. This is what it's building towards. This is the pinnacle. They put every single sound they knew into this song and made it one gigantic party. I can't even begin to describe the sounds that you hear when you turn the song on. There's so much. There are so many layers to this track. And then the speed of it, it's just full party mode. This is it. If there was an outcast opera, this would be the final scene. Just makes you want to dance. I could be totally wrong, but I don't think there's been many anti-war tracks that make you want to dance and are upbeat like this, or weren't really to this point. Really influential in that way too. I feel like a marching band could play a rendition of this and it would be fucking amazing. Man, I wish I got to see them live during this era. It's, it sucks that I'll never get to. 
fucking full rocking guitar solo in the middle of this shit. Good lord. It must have been the coolest show in the world. I don't know how they pulled it off. And there is a reason that it didn't last. They went so hard on this especially. This whole album, but really this song. And you can tell that there is a pressure to live up to that when performing live. And Andre didn't like it. From everything you read, he just couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't live up to that pressure every night doing this kind of energy and giving it all. And once that stopped, they couldn't really ever get it back on track together. We'll talk about that a little bit in the outro, but this song is just premiere. One of the most underrated tracks ever to come out in music. Again, like I mentioned earlier, they just stop the song at some point. I'll use it for the open. And they just go into this totally different version. It's amazing. The levels that they go through, the saga that they take you on within one song, it's never just a looped beat. There's so much thought and care and patience and planning that goes into production like this that I really just haven't heard since. Amazing. And there's a lot of other good songs on this album. Killer Mike came aboard for this album, who went on to do a lot of work with them and is awesome in his own right, Run the Jewels Rocks. Sleepy Brown, again, back on this. Gangsta Boo, Be Real is in this one. Erica Badu was on the album. CeeLo Green was on the album. A ton of other people. A million musicians. It's all there if you want to look it up. But this is just the pinnacle of success. The combo of success and earning it, for me, makes this one of my favorite albums ever to come out. And I love that I own a t-shirt of the Stankonia cover, but instead of Outkast, it's Goku and Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z. But doing the same thing. I'll post a picture of it. It's very cool for all the nerds out there. Stankonia. Can't beat it. Go listen. Break. Yes, I realize maybe Hey Ya is actually the peak of how popular Outcast got, but the truth is I'm not including Speaker Box and the Love Below in this discussion because that wasn't really Outcast together. By the time those albums came out, I like the way you move, Big Boy had. It was very popular and it was released as a double album under the name Outcast, but the whole point was that each of them got their own album. They weren't working on it together. And that, to me, is not the same. Uh, these four albums really represent the run and the peak. And it's not that I like those albums less. In fact, Idlewild came out later, the album that went with the movie, and even that has some good stuff on it. So they didn't go away right away, but that four-album run is what I really consider what I think of Outkast together, doing their thing and... I think that era can stand on its own. But if you want to hear more, and I could do way more on this, the split, the anxiety that came between them, the relationship between the two of them, which is beautiful, and they still support each other regardless, their solo stuff, we could do all of that. Next week, I have another musical guest on. Very cool. One of the coolest guys I've ever spoken to in my life. And we went on for a while, and he had a story himself about how he worked on the video for Hey Ya. You'll have to tune in. That's a tease, baby. That's how we do it. Also, when the Super Bowl was in Atlanta, I was positive that that was going to be an Outcast reunion. I was so hyped. I was so excited. And then Big Boy was there, and Andre wasn't, and it was cool, but my dreams were a little bit shattered. Tough. I really wish. Imagine that moment. Super Bowl in the spot where they were born. Ugh. God, it would have been good. What can you do? Maybe one day. I'll always be hoping. But if they don't ever get back together, at least the story didn't end in a horrible way with a death or a bad breakup and they hate each other. It's a nice thing that it just kind of fizzled out a little bit because the alternatives sometimes can get really ugly. Anyway, I love Outcast. 
Maybe I'll do more of these with even movies or more music or TV shows, some throwback stuff that I really love that deserves some dedication. I'm not sure. Let me know what you think. As always, follow at the link underscore podcast on social media. Leave some reviews. Do some stuff. Anything you can to spread the word. Trying to grow. Appreciate you listening. Secret code word for this week to prove that you listened all the way through the end. Despite all my nonsense and all the songs that I love, I couldn't leave any out. Secret code word's gonna be patty melts. Because I never knew what a patty melt was before Outcast came about. Thank you for that. Thank you for listening. We'll do a sequel when I can get Andre and Big Boy on the podcast. That'll happen, right? Kid can dream. One more time for me, please. Break! Thank you.